Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Our next guest is a great follow on Twitter. He's also uh, got his finger on the pulse of USC Athletics. At Inside Troy on Twitter. The owner and publisher of USCFootball.com, Ryan Abraham, is joining us. Uh, Ryan, I appreciate you making time uh, from beautiful Hermosa Beach, California. Are you on the beach? I am actually in... uh... Massachusetts visiting my family, so I'm on the, I'm on the East Coast. So, Man, yeah. I was I was thinking glamorous. I had you in a lawn chair. You had a big gulp. You were at the ocean. You know, all good. Uh, give me an idea, man. When this went down, did you see this coming? Did you expect USC to leave the Pac-12? You know, the way it happened is probably more shocking than anything. Like I talked to Mike Bowen a couple of years ago when he had told me that. You know, there every op- options were on the table. You know that we haven't seen USC in the past ever try to flex their muscles. It seemed like Mike Bone was willing to do that and look at whatever the options would be, not just going into the Pac-12, but how it went down and as quickly as it went down. It, you know, I give this USC administration credit; they kept the Clay Helton firing very quiet. Clay Helton was able to address the team before it even got out that he wasn't going to be the head coach. The Lincoln Riley thing out of left field, and uh, no one knew that was coming. And then this one too. I was at the Elite 11 quarterback camp in Redondo Beach, like the town next to me, and, you know, expecting to just cover a day of high school recruiting, just watching some quarterbacks throw the football, and this drops, and uh, holy cow, it just kind of changed everything. So the, the way it happened as quickly as it did, I think that's what was shocking. I thought USC would, would eventually make a move, but I thought it might be a little more back and forth between the Pac-12, not just kind of dropping the ball that, boom, they're gone and off the Big Ten. It was, it was pretty shocking for me. Yeah, I think – you know, a lot of us immediately wondered why, got angry at USC for, you know, the loss of tradition, the splintering of the conference. Is there any, was there any kind of second thought? Was there any backlash from alumni who said, hey, wait a minute, uh, I, you know, I, I, I grew up in the Pac-12. I don't want to leave this conference. Yeah, you know, I did a Twitter poll right away, and it was pretty even. There's maybe 57% were approving. Now, that might have been other Pac-12 fans for sure. On our message boards on USCFootball.com, it was more like the 75%. And then talking to people at USC, I think for the most part, the, the alumni, the boosters that they talked to, they were positive about this. There's certainly a group of people that, you know, they're traditionalists. They don't want to see the weekender go away. They don't want to see, you know, playing Midwest teams instead of West Coast teams. And I, I think all of that's completely understandable. I mean, you look at the economics and I think as this has gone on, the, the days, you know, it's only been a week or so since this happened, I think they're starting to kind of come around to the realities of how college football is changing and you really have to, you know, if, if you don't adapt, you're going to fall behind. It seems like USC and the whole Pac-12 was falling behind and this was the solution that USC and UCLA came up with and, uh, you know, with the, the kind of budgetary issues that all these athletic departments are having, it's hard to blame them, but I feel like if there might have been more initial pushback, John, in the beginning, and I think people are starting to come around the idea, like, all right, this seems like what's better for the long-term 
health of the athletic department. Yeah, let's let's talk about USC. Uh, you know, from a competitive standpoint, what do you think happens to USC as it you know enters into Big Ten country and football and basketball and other sports? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. So USC is in a transition right now. Obviously, they were four and eight last year. Terrible team. One of the worst defenses we've seen. Um, you make a big hire like Lincoln Riley. You bring in all these guys to the transfer portal. You expect, you know, results right away. And I think that's what Lincoln Riley expects. And, you know, Utah's on the, the top of the mountain right now in the Pac-12. That's in the same division. Obviously, USC's going to have to get over that. But looking forward, I mean, the first year in the, in, you know, they'll have two years under Lincoln Riley to kind of get ready, I guess you could say for the Big Ten, but that first year, they open with LSU in Las Vegas. They end the season against Notre Dame in the Coliseum, and then they'll have most likely nine Big Ten games in between there somewhere. So it's not going to be an easy first year. And I, I think for football, I mean, four or five trips to the Midwest every year, that's going to be, you know, that's not going to be easy. Uh, but I think for the other sports, it's going to be challenging as well. All the Olympic sports, if you're talking about basketball, there's going to be some pretty long road trips and we've seen data in the nfl where you know west coast teams traveling east have a lot more difficulty than east coast teams traveling west so that's definitely going to be something uh that you know to, to watch for and see what you know if the wins and losses kind of suffer from doing that but just you know from talking to people in the athletic department they just felt like this was the move they had to make uh as far as keeping up things you could make so much more money take care of all those olympic sports that you might not have been able to keep around you know five years from now they felt like it was the right thing to do, and he sort of had to like weigh the pros and cons. Was there anything the Pac-12 could have done to make USC not even explore this or maybe to make it difficult for USC? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know who the owners would be on, if it's USC or, or George Klyovkov, but, you know, certainly there were some bad feelings about the way the, the deal was structured and the more you hear about the Vanderbilts and Purdue's of the world, making two or three times as much money as, as like a USC or a Oregon or Washington. I mean, that, that kind of weighs on you, I think, after a while. And the equal share part, knowing how big the Los Angeles market is and how important the USC brand is to the, the conference, just felt like they were, you know, kind of carry the weight for the conference for quite a while, even though they weren't winning at the rate that they should be. I mean, part of it's on USC for not having the, the kind of flagship program that they're supposed to be in the Pac-12. So I think that the talks would have had to been, it would have to involve some sort of unequal share of, you know, dividing up the TV dollars. And I, I think something like that could have been talked about, but it just doesn't seem like for whatever reason on the Pac-12 side or the USC side, that really didn't get discussed. And it's sort of like USC came up with a, a solution they felt was, was the right thing and kind of left with it. But I would have liked to see, you know, if and we don't know if there was, maybe there was working behind the scenes, just wasn't working out. But it would have been good to see the Pac-12 and USC sort of try to hammer something out. Because, uh, you know, I think if, if all things are equal, you'd love to see the you know, Trojans play on the West Coast still. Um, obviously, with the money, it was not. But it, it would have been the more ideal solution for me if the money could have worked out somehow. Ryan Abraham with us, uscfootball.com. The, uh, the rapid reaction from recruits, um, from coaches, from players, uh, what did you hear on the football front? Yeah, it's interesting. I think just the, you know, the ability to go into some of the, the huge venues in the, in the Big Ten, I think that's something that coaches that I've talked to have, you know, that's the first thing they think about is, you know, oh, we've got to have a trip to the Horseshoe or the Big House or go to Happy Valley, like all those kind of things. Um, there's going to be some cool road trips, but there's a lot of travel. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the main things. 
on the recruiting side, that usually takes a little while for things to kind of get warmed up, but it'll be interesting to see if this opens up pipelines from the Midwest. You know, there's been uh, not as many linemen, I guess you could say, on the, the West Coast. Um, so maybe you can go to the Midwest and recruit a few more linemen. Certainly the teams in the Midwest would like to come in and recruit California more. They're already recruiting it really hard. So that'll be interesting to see, I think, more a little bit down the road uh, as far as that stuff goes. But it's it's one of those things that, you know, I think a lot of the, the coaches and the fans and the, and the recruits are, they're all in shock. Like everyone's still kind of di- trying to digest this like seismic change in college football. Ryan, let me ask you, you know, from uh, a Lincoln Riley standpoint in the next couple of seasons, um, you know, I had, I had sort of penciled him in to have a nice season, but not a great season in year one. And then it was like, let's see what he can do. Um, does this change the timeline or, you know, because, you know, when he enters the big 10, I think it is going to be a more competitive situation. I think, you know, yeah, of course there will be some, you know, there'll be Northwestern and some other games, Indiana, Purdue, that maybe aren't against the traditional powers, but, I think week in and week out, it's going to be Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Michigan State. That's not easy. No, uh, it's definitely not. And I think under normal circumstances, if you look at a team that was 4-8 and eight and you look at a team that had a really bad defense, gave up 31 points a game or whatever it was, you know, you hire a coach and you expect them to maybe make a bowl game the next year. I, I definitely think the expectations are higher than that. Like at 8-4, and 9-3, and three, Seems pretty reasonable to me, just the way the schedule lays out. You're not playing Oregon. You're not playing Washington. You do get Notre Dame at home. I think the toughest one will be Utah and Salt Lake City. That'll definitely be a a game that a lot of people are circling in the Pac-12. But I feel like if they just become like a competent football team, you know, winning eight games, potentially nine games, I think that's reasonable. But with all the pieces they added, like, there's still upside there. I mean, there's a – outside chance they could compete for the Pac-12 championship in year one. I'm not, I'm still going to you know, put Utah down as my favorite to win the conference, but I wouldn't be completely shocked if that was USC. But I think a lot of things would have to come together. They're doing really well in the offseason, but they haven't won a game yet, uh, you know, in September. Once that starts, and we'll see, you know, how this team could kind of get rolling. And, and I think that the key is going to be, I think they're going to score points. You get Caleb Williams, you got Jordan Addison, a whole bunch of receivers, and, you know, Travis Dye you're familiar with. Yeah, you know, I think they're going to be fine on offense, but on the defensive side, can they put that together? Because they bring some guys back. They, they brought in a lot of guys from the transfer portal, a whole new system with Alex Grinch that we've seen in the Pac-12 before, you know, at Washington State. I think the defensive side is where the limitation is going to be. So they'll probably score enough points to win eight games just without even a, a decent defense. But you put a good defense together, they can score some points. You know, then I think they're going to be pushing by the end of the year. They might look like a team that can compete for the Pac-12. Even if they've lost a few games, they'll be out of the race. I think they have that potential, but year two is probably when they get there, and then that's what you're going to hope is a springboard to get into uh, your first season in the Big Ten. Matt, uh, we're talking to Ryan Abraham. Uh, you know, when I look at sort of the, the 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 next season, I am curious how USC will be greeted. They come to Corvallis in September, uh, early in the Pac-12 season. What do you expect? Yeah, I mean, I, I expect. Yeah, it was it like Clever Lang said to uh, uh, to Rocky, like pain, like that. You know, like <laughs> I feel like they're going to make it as difficult as possible on these road games. And I've I've reached out to friends that cover Texas and Oklahoma just to see, and they're like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a different sort of atmosphere if you're going to go to like Manhattan, Kansas, and, and try to play a game there. Uh, you 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 know, 
USC is not really loved by the rest of the Pac-12 to begin with. Um, you know, it's tough to go to a place like Corvallis. Salt Lake City has always been a, a, a tough game for USC, man. I think the crowds are going to be amped up uh, for this one. I think you're going to see USC, UCLA, any of those road games in the Pac-12, you know, outside of maybe the Bay Area, like you're going to see some pretty hostile crowds. And, um, and we've already seen Twitter comments of people writing in about, yeah, we're, wait until they get here, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Um, so we'll see. And I think it's probably going to depend on how good – if USC starts playing well, it's probably going to be ratcheted up and be even, you know, be even worse. And UCLA had a, you know, nice season last year. They won eight games. Uh, you know, I, I think both teams are going to be uh, – the welcome mat's not going to be <laughs> laid out, the red carpet or anything when these teams come to town. So I think they can expect, uh, you know, a lot of hatred towards them, which, I don't know, sometimes it fires a team up. But it's, it's definitely going to be, I think, a tougher road environment, you know, than it normally would be under regular circumstances. Give me an idea of what you think the Big Ten and the SEC are trying to do here. Uh, you've got the view now from the USC side, 20,000 feet. What are they, what's the end game? You know, unfortunately, John, we talk about this, is there's no college football czar. There's no one that's looking for the betterment of the entire sport and keeping that in mind. You have you know, big entities, and we have the five, and it's sort of been whittling down to there's two big ones now. And, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten are doing a great job, but they're looking out for themselves and what's going to make the SEC better and how do I compete. Um, and, you know, the, the Texas-Oklahoma, you know, first salvo comes, and then the Big Ten answers back with uh, USC and UCLA. And then you have ESPN with one side and Fox on another. Uh, it just seems like that's the way we're going. And, you know, I'm hopeful that the Pac-12 can put it together. And, you know, you had written about the partnership with the ACC, something like that could be, really interesting and maybe there's a third big league so it doesn't have to come down to like a two-party system i guess you could say but it's you know it's everyone kind of doing what's best for themselves which you get like that we all you know we all do that in our careers whatever we have to do but it would be nice to have some sort of governing body over the whole thing saying wait hold on i know that's great for you that's great for you this is something that's good for both of you and it's actually good for the entire sport we just don't have anyone kind of doing that and then just people kind of acting in their own best interest all the time now Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. Hey, I appreciate your time, Ryan. Keep up the work. Uh, for people who want to find your podcast, where do they go? Yeah, go to the Peristyle Podcast on any of the podcasting apps or the Podcasting Champion. We had you on today, John, so thanks for coming on for that. But we cover the, the Pac-12, at least for now, whatever this is going to look like. Hopefully hopefully, it'll still be together. But, uh, yeah, Peristyle, Podcasting Champions and Peristyle Podcast where you can find me. Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com, at Inside Troy on Twitter. Thank you for joining us. Our big splash is coming up, and it's a good one. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. One week from today, we will be live from the Reserve Golf Course and Vineyards in Aloha for the 10th Annual Bald Face True Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. A uh, whole bunch of celebrity golfers, former trailblazers like Bobby Gross, uh, Miss Oregon will be out there, Ariel Freetag will be there, we will have, uh, uh, you know, t uh, Tom Gorman, former Major League Baseball pitcher. Mark Radford, who played in the NBA. Oregon baseball coach Mark Wazikowski is playing. Jace Coburn, the men's basketball coach at Portland State, is playing. 
Uh, Jimmy Joyce, former Major League Baseball umpire, will be out there. Athletic Director John Johnson from Portland State will be among the celebrity golfers. Uh, how about Alex Molden, former NFL first-round draft pick, and Mike Walter, a multi-Super Bowl champion with the 49ers. He'll be out there as well. You can join the fun by tuning in to this radio station, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., a week from today, Thursday, as the Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament 10th annual event benefits kids. Basically, kids get to play musical instruments and go to summer camp and play sports because you tune in and because the sponsors, sponsors like Bricks Tavern and Adidas and uh, sponsors like High Caliber Millwrights and Biologic Resources and Gresham Ford and The Wall and First Call Heating and Cooling and Shoe Mill and Breakside Brewery among the sponsors as well uh, all have come together. Uh, the Candlish family all come together uh, for a great cause and to uh, help kids in the community. That'll be next Thursday, a week from today. This brings us to our big splash, and it's splashy. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the New York Post is jumping in on the Blazers' front. They had a story today. Headline, Toxic Trailblazers owner Jody Allen should sell the team, say insiders. It's the NBA's biggest battle off the court. Phil Knight, Nike founder, made a $2 billion bid to buy the Blazers uh, from Jody Allen. Uh, the piece in the New York Post brings up uh, Jody Allen's uh, sexual harassment and bad behavior allegations. She's 63, worth reportedly more than $20 billion. She issued a statement uh, earlier this week saying that the team is not for sale. Uh, former Blazers president Larry Miller told the New York Post that Jody's making a mistake. Quote, I would say to her, absolutely take the offer, end quote. Larry Miller now works in the Nike Empire as head of the Jordan brand. Uh, the New York Post uh, cites sources who say there's growing disarray behind the scenes. Uh, they talk about Neil Olshay's departure. They talk about uh, Chris McGowan's departure. And they have put some pressure on Jody Allen in this piece. Apparently, according to Larry Miller, Jody refused to take Phil Knight's call. When uh, Phil Knight tried to call and talk to her, she deferred him to Burt Cold. She also reportedly has refused to talk to Damian Lillard, who apparently reached out to her uh, because he was having issues with the way the team was being run. So the New York Post is jumping in on this, and we're going to talk about it in Hour 2. But first in Hour 2, we'll go to Salt Lake City. Bill Riley, ESPN 700, is going to be joining us. But, yes, my note to Jody Allen, I joined the New York Post in saying, sell the team. Give it to somebody who would love it and nurture it and care for it. All right, hour number two is ahead. Bill Riley in Salt Lake City. We'll ask him what Utah wants. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.